0: So church, by a show of hands this morning, anybody have any difficulties in getting here today? Anybody have any trouble getting out the door? Anybody have kids that didn't cooperate? Anybody have that old grandma driving 35 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone trying to get to church? Anybody have anything like that this morning? I did. I was all the way dressed and... Got a stain on my shirt and had to change my clothes. And then I got here, and we had an event Friday night with the youth. And like Pastor Jason said, we had about 200 young people in here worshiping, full altar. Great event, great event. But my iPad that I preached from was in this room, and I couldn't find it this morning. Still can't find it. So uh, y'all pray that it shows up, but not that big of a deal. But just stuff like that. You know, sometimes it's not the big stuff, it's the little stuff that Satan throws at us just to try to mess us up. But we're here today, all right? We're here. Somebody do something behind me. Uh, we're here today, and we are here to worship the Lord. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe you've had a great week. Maybe you've had a tough week. Maybe you just have a need today. I've told you guys, I've been battling some stomach issues. I still haven't diagnose what's going on with me keep praying for me i believe prayers do better than anything so you guys keep praying for me on that um but it's not been the easiest week of my life but god's still good and he's still here and he's still moving and he's still working and like the song we just sang says he never gives up on us never gives up on us so i just wonder this morning is there anybody who would just like to step forward and we're just going to have our prayer time here. Anybody would just step forward and say, yeah, it's been a tough week. Or, yes, I have a need. And I just want some special prayer. You know, there's nothing magical or anything about coming up here. But sometimes when we step forward, I don't know, when we do something with our physical, it affects our everything else. And so, can I invite you this morning? Would you like to come for special prayer? Anybody have any need? Unspoken request? Something been on your heart for a while? Something broken your heart for a while? I don't know. I don't know, guys. But the Lord knows. I promise you He knows. God knows. Anybody want to come and just, just talk to Him about it? Just seek Him in a special way today. Come on up and we'll pray together. And if anybody wants to join these, anybody wants to just come in behind them and just show some support, that's that's perfectly good too. Let's seek the Lord's face. We live in tough times, guys. We live in tough times, but the Lord is still on the throne. He's still God. Let's search for Him this morning. Father, we just give you thanks for who you are. We thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you are speaking here today. God, we thank you that in the midst of trials and tribulations you are there. God, you have defeated every enemy through the cross. Death, hell, and the grave all in one fell swoop were put under the thumb of Jesus Christ. That last enemy that's death, we don't even have to fear him anymore because Jesus has defeated him. And God, I don't know what needs. I know some of the needs, but I don't know all of the needs that are represented here this morning, but you know every single one of them. And God, I just pray that you would move in just such a special way. God, that you would show yourself mighty. God, that you would move things around behind the scenes. God, you would work in a way that only you can in each of these situations, God. Lord, I wish I could say that your church has enough time, enough resources to fix every problem. But Lord, we don't, but you do. You have eternity. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own everything, God. This earth is yours. And so, Lord, today we come to you. Beggars pointing other beggars to bread, to the source of life. God, we just ask that you would minister. Be in this service, we pray, God, as we look at the rescue that Jesus did for us, Lord. The rescue story that we can be part of. God, I thank you that your story is not just your story, but through the blood of Jesus, you write us into your story. God, I thank you that I've been a part of it. I get to be part of it. I pray if there's somebody here today that does not know you, Lord, that before they leave this place, they would become part of that story. They would become part of that salvation movement, which was initiated 2,000 years ago on a hill just outside of the gates of Jerusalem. God, we thank you for that resurrection power that lives in us because of Jesus. Lord, anything that needs to be raised up in us today, I pray that you would do that. Father, we love you, we praise you, we magnify your name. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray all these things because we know that he's the one that loved us enough to give himself for us. And all of Rushwood said together, amen. Thank you so much for praying. Don't sit down yet. Turn around and greet three or four people. Give them a fist bump. Say hello this morning. Then you may be seated. All right, when you've done that, you may be seated. By the way, this is Pastor Blake's iPad. This is not my iPad. would be great if it were. Good looking out, Blake, But Thanks for your help this morning. Well, this morning we are starting a new series called Rescue Story, and it's a nine-week series. It'll take us all the way through Good Friday, through Easter, and even a couple of weeks beyond. And so I'm excited. We're going to tell... The Story of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell how God used Jesus to rescue us from our sin and death. And so it's going to be, I believe, a great series. When it comes to the fall, we're going to do on this on Wednesday nights. We're going to expand this. We're actually going to be looking at the story of God, but in much more detail in our Wednesday night study. So I hope that you'll, this will get kind of whet your appetite for what we're going to be talking about um, during the fall, during our fall semester of Wednesday nights. But I thought we'd start with something funny this morning. I thought we would start with a little bit of humor. I hope you appreciate that. If you don't like humor in church, just humor me. Um, we will That was funnier in my mind. But anyway, (laughs) maybe this joke will be funnier. But I thought we'd start with something funny just to warm us up this morning. By the way, this joke is not theologically correct. Please do not take your theology from my jokes, okay? This is just something fun for us this morning. A lady dies, and she ends up outside the pearly gates. And St. Peter greets her, and he tells her, Welcome to heaven. But before I let you in, you have to spell a word. What word, she says. Well, St. Peter replies, Any word that you choose. And she said, Okay, well, I'll spell love. L-O-V-E, love. And Peter says, that's great. You've passed the test. You can go on in. He said, but before you do, I need a bathroom break. Would you take over here for just a minute while I take a break? And she says, sure, I'll be glad to. He says, well, great. Just use the same procedure I just used on you if anybody comes up while I'm gone. Well, she's not there two minutes when, lo and behold, her ex-husband approaches The gates of heaven. What are you doing here? She asked. He said, I just died of a massive heart attack. Is this heaven? She says, yes. He says, can I go in? She says, well, you can, but you just have to spell a word correctly first. He asked, what word? She thinks for a minute and says, just spell Czechoslovakia. All right. That was funnier in my mind, too. But uh, The woman in the joke did not have much grace for her ex-husband, but God has a great amount of grace for us. Aren't you glad? Did you enjoy it? We sang Amazing Grace. We sang it with a little different thing going on there this morning. I kind of like that, you know. Sometimes we sing Amazing Grace like we're just the saddest people in the world when we're singing about God's amazing grace. So I kind of enjoyed that, having a little bit more of a festive sound to that song this morning, because grace should make us happy. Should make us happy. We should be excited about the grace of God, because I'm here to tell you this morning without the grace of God, you aren't going to make it, and I'm not going to either. On our own merit, we're not going to make it. Our lives, our, the brokenness of sin that's in our lives, demands the grace of God. And I'm so glad that God's grace is free, that God's grace is rich, that God's grace is plentiful, and that God's grace is amazing this morning. And so today we're going to be talking about that grace as we start this new series, Rescue Story. Again, over the next nine weeks, we're going over the story, basically the big picture of the story of the Bible, the big picture of how Jesus rescued us. We're going to answer this question. This is going to be our overarching question for this series. What did God do in the history of planet Earth to save a people for himself? What did God do in the history of planet Earth to save a people for himself? Now a lot of Sundays if you come here I do more what we call expository preaching where we take a section of scripture and we break down that scripture part by part and see what is kind of under the surface that God has for us and I enjoy that, that's a a great method of preaching but I don't do that every single week necessarily. This is going to be more hitting some of the bigger stories, some of the bigger parts of the story of how God rescued his people and so it's going to be a little different if you don't like this, come to the next series. It'll be different from this, and you might like it better. But I think this is going to be a blessing, especially if you're new to church, if you, especially if you're new to this whole Christian thing and following Jesus. This is going to be a really good series for you to get your feet wet. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to go from eternity past to kingdom come. We're going to go from the fall of man to the ultimate redemption in nine weeks' time. Sound fun? I hope so I hope you're ready because I'm ready for it as well so today we're going to of course begin at the beginning and in the beginning the Bible tells us God created do you believe that today I mean atheism is the idea that everything came from nothing I've seen nothing before I've never seen anything come from it I've never seen nothing do anything that produced something everything has to come from something, The idea that existence is as it is, that we exist, the complexity of even the human body, the complexity of the world around us, the amazing way that God designed everything that works together, how he positioned the earth. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were just a little bit f- further away, we'd freeze to death. If the angle of the earth is not as it is, then there would not be any life on earth. There are universal constants out there. There are things in nature in this universe that God designed that they were, if they were off a trillionth of a percent, then we would not be able to have life. But he designed it this way to have life. And to me, that points to a God that created us. There's a lot more that points to a God that created us, but that's one of the things. So I believe in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And look, y'all, we spend a lot of time debating about how exactly that happened. Was it six literal days, six literal 24-hour periods followed by a day of rest? And some people say you have to believe that. If you're not believing that, you're not really believing the Bible. And other people say that there's indications there that that's not exactly what it's teaching, that these could have been periods of time. Some people even have a theory that in between the 24, they are literal 24-hour days, but they are, there are periods of time in between them. At the end of the day, I really don't care what you believe on that. I care that you believe about Jesus. I'm not going to divide over that. I'm not see, it's interesting to study. It's, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not going to divide with my brothers and sisters in Christ over how we see that story unfolding. The important thing is God did it. The important thing is, in the beginning, God created. He's the one that did it. He's the one that made everything, put everything into existence. So we're not going there today. All we're going to talk about is the creation that God made. We do know that on earth, God carves out a special place on this earth. That special place is a garden, and that garden is called Eden. We've heard about the Garden of Eden so much, you know, that we probably have just a culturized view of what Eden was. The Bible describes it as a garden. It also describes in certain places Eden as a mountain. And a lot of times, and I talked to you a little bit about this last week, that in the, in the Old Testament, in the ancient world, a mountain was a place where gods had their counsel, where a god ruled. And so the Garden of Eden, I believe the Bible teaches us, was a special place not only for man, but it was a special place for God. It was a special place where God resided in a special way on this earth after its creation. Eden is described as beautiful. And in Eden, God places a man and a woman, a man and a woman called Adam and Eve. And the man and the woman, not only does he place them there, they are to be the bearers of God's image in this world. You know that you bear the image of God? You carry His image. You carry the image of God. You know what? So, sometimes we have people that come into our lives or things that come into our lives that make us feel lesser than, of lesser importance, of lesser worth. We feel not, we're not as good as some people. Some people are smarter than us. Some people are more successful than us. Some people are better looking than us. I mean, there's all these different things we can get caught up on. But God didn't make no junk. I'm glad you amen there. God didn't make no junk. We, we are here bearing His image. We carry the image of God. That's the most important role in this world. You know, we have, we have a lot of pets. I've got four kids, and with four kids we have a lot of pets. we got three dogs running around, lizards, snakes, all sorts of other things. we got a zoo at our house. And it's amazing those animals, some of the characteristics they have. you know, They can, they can show great affection an animal can show great affection to their owner and they can show great intellect and I mean sometimes we just sit around and laugh at some of the crazy things these animals do they have a lot of overlap with us as far as some of their characteristics but they're not on earth to carry the image of God we are that makes us special that makes human life special it makes it something worth protecting praise God that yesterday uh, I didn't get to go Um, my stomach trouble had kept me up during the night and so Uncharacter- uncharacteristically I slept late yesterday that never happens uh, so I didn't get to go to love life but there was a church in Greensboro that had 700 people that showed up for the love life walk in Greensboro yesterday to protect human life and so I praise God for that what what a what a wonderful thing but we're placed in Eden as God's image Eden is God's temple and we are his priest. Adam and Eve are his priests to represent him in this world. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth with the image of God. You realize if a fall had never happened in the Garden of Eden, the plan was for man and woman to multiply, for the garden and everything to spread over the entire world, and the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God. That's why Satan came in to shortcut that. He came in to break that image filling in this world. But God had another plan. The plan was for mankind to fill the whole earth. But God and man have an enemy. How many of you know you have an enemy that's not human this morning? How many of you know you have an enemy that is supernatural, who hates you and who hates me? I can always tell when God's doing good stuff, when good stuff is happening, I have an enemy that comes in and fights against it. I, I've, I've seen his hand at work so many times that I kind of say, yeah, I know who that is. I know what you're up to. Sometimes I, I, know, I know you guys have perfect marriages, and I know this never happens, but uh, sometimes my wife and I have disagreements, or as a friend of mine says, we have intense fellowship sometimes. And... Uh, Don't always see it eye to eye. Don't always think exactly the same way. But I can tell when the argument, and it's always my fault, but yeah. but I, the women like that. Um, I can tell when it's my fault when I've thought something stupid, said something stupid, done something stupid, you know. Um, But I can also tell sometimes when we get in these disagreements when there's an enemy who is just revving both of us up against each other. And sometimes I've been around long enough, we've been married 16 years, we've been around the block long enough that that we kind of say sometimes, you know what, this is Satan. This is our enemy. This isn't us. This isn't, I mean, what we're fighting over is just stupid. This is Satan getting us mad at each other to try to divide us. And so we've gotten where we can recognize that back off and start attacking him in prayer instead of attacking each other. And so, uh, you know, keep that one in your back pocket. That's not the main sermon this morning, but it might speak to you today. We do have an enemy. The enemy was a heavenly being. He started off as Lucifer. He started off as the worship leader of heaven. A beautiful angel, a beautiful divine being, part of God's holy council. it looks like, from the book of Job. Beautiful, but also cunning and evil. And he decides he's going to exalt himself above the throne of God. I'm going to become greater than God. I'm going to become greater than the Almighty. Not a good plan. Not a good plan. He's kicked he he and a third of the angels are kicked out of heaven and they're thrown into this world. And so he comes along when God creates man and woman, when God creates the world and creates this garden. He comes along to throw a wrench into God's plan for man in the earth. See, God had given man and woman, Adam and Eve, a rule. He said, you can eat of any tree that's in this garden, but there's one that you can't eat of. There's one that you have to leave alone. There's one that you can't touch. There's one that you have to stay away from. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, look, if you eat from that, you will certainly die. In fact, some translations say on the day that you eat from that, you will certainly die. And people say, oh, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible because it says on that day you will certainly die, and Adam and Eve lived on past that day. So there's a contradiction in the Bible. But you've got to understand there's a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. And they died a spiritual death when they broke this rule. But you may ask, you know, Brent, why did God do that? Why did God put this tree in the midst of this garden? Why did he give them a rule? I had a friend, when I think we were in about 6th or 7th grade, and we were in language arts class, and I'm not sure how the subject came up or why the subject came up, and he said, and he was not a Christian, didn't come from a Christian family, he said, why did God do that? He said, it seems like to me he was just on a big ego trip. If he wouldn't have put that tree in the garden, nobody could have sinned and there wouldn't have been any, any bad or death or anything come into this world. Why would God do that? It seems like to me that God was just wrong in doing that to Adam and Eve, if the story is true. Well, here's why I think God did that. When you don't have the option to rebel, you're a slave. When you don't have the option to rebel, when you don't have the option to go your own way, you are controlled, you're a robot, you're an automaton, you are not a free will being. And I believe that God put that tree in the garden so that we could have free will. I put in my notes this, God didn't desire robots to follow him blindly. He wanted sons and daughters to follow him willingly. He gave us a free will so that we would have a choice in it, so that we would have a decision to make. The tree equaled free will for mankind. But because of that, that opens the door for the enemy to approach this couple. I've been doing some studying on Satan. There's a guy named Michael Heiser who's written a very interesting book. Uh, called the unseen realm and he's an old testament scholar and he's kind of delved into all of this stuff and he talks a little bit about satan in the hebrew what satan actually meant let me get a sip of water here guys he talks about what satan actually meant in the hebrew the hebrew word for satan in the garden is the nahash the nahash n-a-h-a-s-h and it actually has three different meanings the first is serpent like a snake And that's how it's usually translated. A serpent came along and deceived them. But there's a second meaning that can be tied to this word Nahash. And it's a divine being, like an angel, like one that's part of God's holy counsel. It was part of the throne room of heaven. And so a divine being could be a meaning for the Nahash. And the third meaning is shining one. The the translation in Hebrew is actually one that shines. So, in other words, Satan is not going to come to you looking like this evil, distorted monster. He's just not. He's going to come to you as something that's very attractive. He's going to come to you as something that seems beautiful to you. He's going to come to you as something that's tempting you, that provides temptation for you. That's the way Satan's going to approach you. Satan's a lot like a fishing lure. You know, a fish sees that lure, it sees it shining, sees it moving. It looks like something good, something that that the fish would want, but when the fish grabs a hold of it, there's hooks there, and it ends up, the fish ends up dead. That's how Satan is. He's going to approach you as something beautiful, but he's really something evil. He's really something that has been corrupted. So according to Michael Heiser and his research, and I've heard others say this same thing, when we picture Satan in the garden, there's reason to believe we should picture less of a natural physical snake we should picture more of an angelic serpentine being that's coming and approaching eve and is talking to her a powerful being that has serpent-like qualities for sure but is more than just a natural animal now, some think that it was just a demon-possessed or Satan-possessed snake, and maybe that works as well, but I think some, that might help some of us to understand this was not just a normal snake like you'd see in your backyard. This was something evil. This was something more. So Satan and Adam and Eve, uh, God has been tell, tells Adam and Eve that God has been holding out on them. You need to eat of this tree, Adam and Eve. If you'll eat of this tree, you won't surely die. What's going to happen if you eat of this tree? You're going to become like God. You're going to know good and evil, and your eyes are going to be open. You see, there was some truth in what Satan said, but there was also a lie in what Satan said. That's another one of his ploys, something that's not all the way completely true, something that's a half-truth. You know what you call a half-truth? A lie. Okay, If it's not 100% true, it's not the truth. It's a lie. And so Satan comes to them and says, God's been holding out on you. And so Eve takes the fruit and she eats. And she offers some to Adam and he eats. Now the women always get a bad rap here saying, you know what, it's the woman that fell and it was Eve that messed up. And that's true. But if you read the story, if she turned around and handed a piece to Adam, he was right there. He was right there. He should have been active. He should have been fighting against what happened. And ultimately the Bible pins the blame on Adam. Ultimately, it pins the blame on the one that fell and then Jesus comes and Jesus is the new Adam that fixes all the junk that the first Adam did. So anyway, both of them take the fruit and they eat. And something goes wrong in mankind from that point forward. Sin, death, broken relationships with other people, broken relationships with God. All of that enters Adam and Eve's spiritual DNA. Something goes wrong, and they're able to pass it on. Not only does it go wrong in them, but it passes on from person to person to person. Nobody had to teach me or you how to sin. It was natural to us. It was natural to us. We're naturally selfish. We naturally want our own way. We naturally go a different way than God would have us go. There's something broken in all of us. We're still in the image of God, but now we are a tarnished, we're a broken image image of god and so next week we're going to talk about what that looks like what it looks like to live as a broken image of god where, where relationships are broken and things are not as they should be and so through satan and through the through eating of the tree and through what we call the fall it looks like satan has defeated the plan of god see god's plan was for us to live forever god's plan for us, was for us to be perfectly healthy God's plan was for us uh, to never have to encounter death. That was God's plan, but Satan came in and messed up that plan, broke that plan. But what Satan, Satan did not realize and what some people still do not realize is that God had a deeper, better plan all along. God had a plan B that was better than plan A. From the foundation of the earth, the Bible teaches us that God had a plan to redeem a people. There are two, I believe, two worst moments in human history. There are two things which were just the darkest days of human history. One we're going to talk about later as we get toward Easter. We're going to talk about that dark day. But I believe the first darkest day in human history was when mankind fell out of the perfection that God had for us in the Garden of Eden. The worst moment in human history But in the midst of that, God is still a God of grace. Aren't you glad that in our worst moments, God is still a God of grace? He's still good to us. He still loves us. He still has mercy for us. His mercies are made new every morning. And so real quickly here this morning, y'all, I want to give you three things in Genesis chapter 3 that show us that God's grace was there even on this dark day, that God still had a plan for his people. When Adam and Eve take of that fruit, when they eat of that tree, they realize that they are naked. Before they had been naked, but they had not been ashamed. But now when they hear God walking, they hide when God is coming, walking in the cool of the day in the garden. God calls out to them and and they tell God that they hid because they were naked. And God asked them, who told them that they were naked? They didn't know that before. It wasn't a problem before. And he asked them, did you, did you eat of the tree? And so Adam blames Eve. And by extension, he blames God. He says, hey, God, the woman you gave me, she's the one. She's the one that gave me took the fruit and gave me some, and I ate of it. It's Eve's fault. And then Eve blames the serpent. The serpent came along and tempted her, and that's why they fell. God puts curses on mankind and the serpent for their sin. But then he does something really interesting. Does something really interesting. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. See, they were naked. See, they were ashamed. See, they were, they were put out in the open in a way that they had never been before. Their sin was on display before God and before this world. And God, in His mercy, clothes them. They, they, they have tried to take fig leaves and, and cover themselves. Now God clothes them with garments of skin. Even in their sin, God covered their shame. You ever had God cover your shame? You ever done something you were just totally ashamed of and God came along and cleaned you up and and wrapped you in his loving arms and just covered the shame that you had, the shame that you bore? God covered their shame. If you think about it logically, for, for skins to be used as the covering, that meant that something had to die. There was a sacrifice that had to be made. There was an animal that had to lose, at least one animal that had to lose its life or their life for them to be covered for their shame to be covered up you know the bible doesn't tell us which animal my guess is it was a lamb my guess it was a lamb my guess is this is an early pointing to jesus christ as the lamb of god my guess is it was a spotless lamb what does this tell us it tells us church that our sin and shame can still be covered whatever you've done the blood of Jesus Christ, whatever you've done, His work on the cross, whatever you've done is enough to cover that up. It's enough to cover it up. It's enough to wipe it away. It's enough to wipe your record clean. Whatever you've done, our sin and shame can still be covered this morning. Maybe you're here and you're ashamed of something you've done. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done something nobody else knows, but you know and God knows. If that's it, thank God for that. Thank God for His mercy, okay, that He hasn't put everything out on display and understand that God can wipe away that shame, that the blood of Jesus can overcome that this morning. Whatever you've done, God has provided a sacrifice for you. And that's the message of the gospel. The second thing that God does really seems like it's a punishment, but it's actually mercy within this. Genesis chapter 3 verses 22 through 24 says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. As I already said, mankind has been broken. Mankind is broken by sin. Now mankind knows good and evil. And if fallen man would have eaten of the tree of life in the garden, we would have lived forever in that fallen and broken state. We would have lived forever separated from God. We would have lived forever as these beings that were not as we should be. So God in His mercy says, I'm going to block the way. You've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to block the way to the tree of life so you have a chance to die because that's actually better for you than to be in this everlasting state and be evil and be wicked in sin. Notice, though, that the Scripture says there is still a way to eternal life. It says God placed a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. There's still a way to the tree of life. There's still a chance at eternal life for us. Eternal life is still possible for Adam's race. Because there's going to be another man and there's going to be another garden and there's going to be another decision and there's going to be another tree and that man is going to make a way of eternal life for all of us. What's that say to us, church? There's hope. There is hope. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your sins have been in the past. I don't know what you're struggling with right now. I don't know. God knows. But I do know that there's hope. I know there's hope for us. I know that God has made a way through Jesus Christ and there is still hope. Are we excited about that this morning? Is that good news to you that there's there's hope today, church? That leads us to the last thing. That leads us to the last sign of grace. And I talked a little bit about it last week in my sermon. But this story still has a hero who is going to come and save the day this story still has somebody who's going to enter the scene somebody who was kind of unexpected somebody that satan certainly didn't plan for a hero that's going to come and save the day to bring us hope to bring us eternal life genesis chapter 3 verses 14 through 15 says so the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What's God saying here? God is saying this serpent, this enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the accuser, is going to be made to bow down. He's going to be made to crawl on his belly. You know, a snake. when a snake is in its most dangerous position is when it's up like this and it's ready to strike. Depends on the snake, depends on the species, but most of them strike with a position with their head up, kind of standing up like this. If they're down on the ground, they really can't bite you. In fact, they're in a good position for you to step on them, throw a rock on them, do something to get rid of them. They're dangerous like this, but God is saying, I'm going to make you crawl on your belly. There's somebody coming, Satan. Right now you're dangerous, and right now you've brought sin into this thing, and right now you've wounded mankind, but there's somebody coming, and you're not going to be a danger to him at all. You're going to strike at his heel, but ultimately he's going to crush your head. He's going to defeat you. He's going to overcome you. There's someone coming who's a hero that's coming into this story, and he's going to be part of Adam's race. He's, he's going to be part of this line of man that's messed up, but he's not going to be messed up. Because he's going to be God in the flesh. He's going to be something greater. He's going to be a rescuer. The serpent will strike his heel, but the rescuer is going to crush the serpent's head. So many of our great stories are about heroes. You watch movies and I'd say, man, three-quarters of every movie that's out there has some sort of hero. It's an archetype that's out there. It's something that we look for. We look to heroes. We look to those who have done something special. We look to people who have almost done supernatural or superhuman things. We look at them and we see them as heroes and we revere them. There's something in the heart of man where we look for a hero to come and save the day. I believe part of that is because we know that ultimately we need a hero to come and save this day. We need somebody to come on the scene and bring hope to us. You know, scientists tell us that eventually if the world... One of the most depressing videos that you can watch on YouTube is kind of a fast forward of the future. It tells in these big segments of years... What would happen? What What's going to happen if the earth and everything stays just as it is? And it talks about how eventually we're going to run out of resources on this earth. And it talks about how eventually the sun is going to go supernova and it's going to burn the earth up anyway. And eventually as time goes on, the sun is going to burn out. And eventually if time lasted long enough, even the black holes would fall in on themselves. And stars would get so far apart that you could not see one star from the other. And it just tells this dreary thing about how the universe eventually, if nothing happens, we'll die. So that means anything we do on this earth, if that's true, which is kind of an atheistic point of view, that there's no God, that there's no hero coming, that there's nobody going to save the day, eventually, if that happens, everything we do on this earth would be meaningless because who's going to know about it in the future? What you do today, you know, it doesn't really matter 10 billion years from now because nothing's going to be here. Nobody's going to remember it. There's not going to be any monuments left. Everything is going to fall apart. It's just all, it it leads to this nihilism of just saying, hey, there's, there's there's nothing good out there. There's no purpose to any of it. That's why a lot of our young people are struggling right now to find their footing and to find their place in this world. They don't believe that anything they do, anything they have to do is worth anything because it's not going to last anyway. If there is no God, then what's the point of everything? And so into that framework, into that mindset, God says, I'm sending a hero, and he's going to do something to fix this sin that's entered this world and entered this universe. And not, not only is he going to save mankind, not only is he going to save humanity, he's going to save this earth. There's going to be a new earth, and he's going to save the heavens. There's going to be a new heavens. There's going to be a purpose for your life. There's going to be a reason for you to live. There's going to be eternal life that you can have. That's the story, that's the good news of this hero that steps into the story and changes everything. And that's what we're talking about as we lead up to Easter. It's his story. I've said this before many times, but history is his story. It's the story of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one that loved us enough to come and save us, the one that was powerful enough to set all things right. It's his story, church. It's his story. Over the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking about his story. And I hope today that I am a hope dealer. You've heard of dope dealers? I hope I'm a hope dealer this morning. That's what I'm trying to do here this morning is tell you there's hope out there. There's something better out there. There's a Savior, and I have evidence of it because He lives in my life. I don't know, like we sang in that song earlier, where would I be without you, Jesus? I have no clue where I'd be, y'all. I wouldn't be standing here talking to you this morning. I can guarantee you that if Jesus Christ had not come into my life when I was eight years old. I don't know where I would be, but this morning I just came by here to tell you there is hope. I want to give you hope today. I want to give you hope for a future. I want to give you hope for eternal life. I want to give you hope that there's something better than death, hell, and the grave. I want to give you hope that there's something better than the misery that you're living in. Some of you may be here today and you're just living in a miserable state your heart's not right, your mind isn't right, your life isn't right, it's okay, I know somebody who can change all that. His name is Jesus Christ, and this morning I want to point you to Him. I want to point if you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, hear this, there's one that can fix it all. There's one that has fixed it all if we just will tap into that hope that He has provided for us. In mankind's worst hour, God was still there. He was still offering grace. He was still offering mercy. He was still pointing the way to redemption. Even when we fail, He was still there loving on us. And if you've fallen this morning, He's still here. He's still loving on you. The worship team is going to lead us in this final song this morning. And I'll just invite you. I'm not going to put any parameters on it whatsoever. I'm just going to invite you. If you need to come pray, do that. If you need to kneel at your pew, do that. Whatever this needs to look like, let's just let God lead this morning. But if you've heard nothing else I said today, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's a hero who has come to save today, to rescue our story. And I thank God for him. I thank God for him every single day. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship together.
1: Standing here Wait. Now we're here Looking back on where we've come from Because of you and nothing we've done To deserve the love and mercy you've shown Your grace was strong enough to pick us up My backs were against the wall, and it looked like as if it was all.
2: Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful. God, we're grateful that you made a way. Father, we know that not everybody in this room has accepted the way that you've made for them. Father, we pray that as they leave, God, they may not have come to this altar down here, God, and accepted it, but God, as they leave, I pray that you will remind them of the way that you have made for them. As Brent has laid it out so plainly and so simple for them today. God, remind them of this message over and over and over again today. Until they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your your word. We thank you and praise you for Jesus We thank you and praise you for the way that you have made for us, Father. We thank you so much. And, God, we ask now, Lord, that you would go with us. Bless us, Lord. God, keep us in the very center of your will. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Before you run out the door, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning. God bless you.